the book of Acts, chapter number 1. Look with me at verse number 8, because this really will be the theme uh, for our time, and it also gives us an outline uh, for the book of Acts. This was taught to me in class when I took this class. I had a couple of different teachers that I, I took the book of Acts with, one being Dr. Busey, who uh, has a huge heart for missions, and uh, this is Dr. Busey Sr., not uh, his son. Uh, my, my daughter is enjoying his son's uh, teaching in her class in high school, and so and, and my and Alex has has uh, has Mr. Busey, and so Dr. Busey taught me the book of Acts, and so that's where I get all these quips, like you know they were all in one accord, and that doesn't mean a Honda. You know I got that from Dr. Busey. If you know his sense of humor, uh, it's classic. Yeah. And so it's just if you don't listen real close, you'll miss it, and he'll just breeze right through. And I'll tell you, there were times I was rolling in the back of the class, going, "Man, how did nobody else get that?" I'm, I guess I'm just as corny as him, but anyway, <laughs> it was a great time, great time. And then I also had the privilege of having some lectures by Dr. Jerry Hollinger, who also taught me in, uh, in my MDiv program through the book of Acts, and so I'm thankful for that time. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, and verse number 8, it does give us a, a detailed outline of the book of Acts. Many times you'll see this in books of the Bible. I pointed this out in the book of Revelation that there's an outline there as well. The things that are, the things that were, and the things that shall be. That's an outline for the book of Revelation. Here in the book of Acts, we see the outline given in that it's in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. If you follow that trajectory through the book of Acts, you'll find that the history of the Acts of the Apostles, and that's A-C-T-S, not A-X-E. Ah, you'll get that in a minute. Thank you, Dr. Busey, for that as well. Uh, yeah. Uh, the trajectory follows exactly this pattern. It begins in Jerusalem, and then it moves out to Judea and the surrounding areas, and then into Samaria, cross-culturally, and then unto the uttermost part of the earth. And so these notes that I'm sharing with you uh, come by the way of Dr. Robert McKeever, so I do not claim originality for this, but these truths are scriptural, and I think that it does us well to be reminded of them so the first thing that I would share with you is just that Acts 1.8 is, clearly tells us where we are to be witnesses. By definition, a New Testament church is an organized body of saved and baptized believers united together for the main purpose, the main purpose, emphasizing the main purpose of carrying out the Great Commission. Our main purpose is not to entertain people. Our main purpose is to preach the Word of God and carry out the Great Commission. Acts 1.8 clearly tells us where we are to be witnesses. Jerusalem, that's our home area. Judea, this is the area around our home. Samaria, this would be cross-culturally being witnesses in cross-cultural church planting and then unto the uttermost part of the earth. That will be the regions beyond. Now let me also give you a way that this verse has ministered to me recently as I've meditated on it. To talk about Jerusalem to a Jewish person would mean to talk about their capital. Which is also why I would apply this verse to things like we do with capital commission. Where is our Jerusalem? Well, in Broomfield, our Jerusalem would be our city seat and our county seats. That would, be, that would be the place of, of, uh, of governance here. But in our state, it would be the state house. And so what we do to witness down there is just as important as what we're doing in our home area. So Jerusalem, whether it's here in Burnfield, whether it's at our state capital, or whether it's at the national capital 
of our of our United our United States. We go to Washington D.C. There's a group of pastors every March that descends on Capitol Hill out there, independent Baptist pastors with Awake America and Capitol uh, Capitol Connection, and they go down for the intent to do what we do on the state level here. They're doing that on the national level. Uh, someday I hope to be able to join my brothers down there to be able to go and make an influence and do something down there. Uh, the Lord hasn't opened that door yet, but I, I, I would pray that He would allow me to, that privilege. And I'd love for you to come with me too. Let's make a trip out there together. Amen. So that's another way that I see this. Judea, around our home area. So, you know, here in the northwest region of Denver, we're in Broomfield. That's northwest Denver. Hey, I'm so excited. Last week, I got a call from a friend of mine. He's a dear brother. He's up in Longmont. And it's Ken Martinez's son, Mark. Many of you uh, know Steve, who came to Louisville and endeavored to plant a church right here in Louisville in 2012. And a year and a half in, they had to shut it down because nobody from the community came. Nobody. Uh, everybody that, that came with Brother Steve was driving over, over an hour and a half, 45 minutes just to get there. And there was no, no one indigenous to the area for a year and a half. And I, we went. I mean, our church went down there and knocked doors with him and encouraged him and prayed with him. And so, uh, you know, Brother Steve's doing well now. Uh, I, I don't want to say that he's, you know, off, you know, he fell off or anything. Oh, he's still serving the Lord. But they did have to close the doors down. More churches are closing their doors than I can even tell you. I think some 5,000 is the last number I heard, and I don't even know how, how up-to-date that number is. 5,000 churches closing their doors in a year. That's not what we need to see happening. We need to see more churches being planted. I got a call last week from Mark Martinez, and the Lord has laid... Now, this is the grace of God, and it's only by the work of God that this would happen. He has laid boulder on Mark's heart, the Boulder Valley in general. And so I had a wonderful conversation with Brother Mark, and I said, hey, whatever you need, we're there. Uh, we're going to be boots on the ground. We're going to be praying. Uh, I already gave him good faith that our church was going to be behind him in whatever he does in that Boulder Valley. And many of you know that this is an answer even to my prayers as a pastor here. I have prayed since I've come. Lord, make us make us an outpost for the gospel. Make us a bulwark. Make us a place where we can penetrate west. I just I believe that that's what we need to do. West, we have Boulder in our purview. And southeast, we have Denver in our purview. When you look at the book of Acts, you look at where Paul concentrated his efforts. It many times was not in an obscure, out-of-the-way area. He would go right to the center of commerce. He would go to places like Ephesus and he would turn Ephesus upside down for the gospel. I want to see that happen in Denver. I want to see that happen in Boulder. As impossible as humanly impossible we think that might be, I'm excited because here we've got a man uh, who I have him scheduled to come in January. He's going to present his ministry. I told him he didn't have to, that we're already, you know, we already will have everything we need to be able to be behind him once he gets his missionary affirmation back to us. But uh, if he can, he's going to come. And he's going to share what God's been doing and, and update as they head to Boulder. That would be Judea to us. That would be our region. And then in Samaria, cross-culturally. You know, through the years, I've just been thrilled at how God has brought diversity into our church. And we've had people from all walks of life and, and all kinds of different ethnicities visit and be a part of what we're doing here. And I attribute that to God's grace. And, uh, and so cross-culturally, what, what can we do to be able to 
witness and reach others because there's so many more here in Broomfield that are of a different, different ethnicity that we can reach and we can try to minister to. That would be Samaria, cross-cultural witnessing. And then unto the uttermost part of the earth, that is to the regions beyond. The three most important words in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. Here they are. Power. Power. That comes from dunamis. This is power that refers to the help, the aid of the Holy Spirit. Dunamis. A capability. And some preachers have talked about dunamis being like dynamite kind of power. I'm not prepared to go to that extent to say it's like dynamite, okay? Because dynamite can be pretty destructive. But if you think of dynamite as being capable to move rock, then you're on the right trajectory to the idea of dunamis. Capability. Ability. And so that comes from the Holy Spirit. Power. The second most important word is witness. This comes from Martus. This is a sacrificer of all, even of self. Ye shall be witnesses unto me. Witnesses is Martus. That's sacrificer of all. And then the third word, it's the most important word, is both. This means all at the same time, simultaneously, the forgotten world of missions. All at the same time. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost, both, all of them at the same time. That's where we're witnesses. The main mission of the church is missions, and our mission field is the world. So what is the twofold goal of missions? Number one, it's evangelism. We, uh, we preach to reach each, as has been said. And so we, we preach to reach each, evangelism. But that's only one prong. The other aspect of the Great Commission, the goal of missions, is church planting. The immediate objective of missions is to win the lost. The ultimate objective of missions is to plant churches. We want to get them saved, but we also want to plant churches that are indigenous to those areas. And so where the church is established in the faith and increased in number daily. Acts chapter 16 and verse number 5 tells us that. As indispensable as evangelism is to missions, it is incomplete without the formation of local churches. We haven't gone all the way. If we're going to plant churches, that's going to involve sowing the seed. And what is that seed? What is, what is that seed? Sowing the seed of the Word of God. Luke chapter 8, verse 11. 1 Peter 1, 23. Tells us about the seed being the Word of God. So in church planting, we sow the seed, but according to 1 Corinthians 3, 6, it's God that gives the increase. And that's what we've seen happen here. We, we've gone out, and some of the ground has been very hard. It's fallow ground in many ways. And uh, an illustration for church planting that, that I would give to any church planter uh, getting ready to go anywhere in America for sure. Uh, there's going to be a lot of logs to move. There's going to be a lot of uh, fallow ground to break up. There's going to be a lot of rocks to move out of the way. There's going to be a lot of weeds to pull. As you go, think about it being like a farmer, but eventually you keep cultivating that soil and eventually you'll get some good ground and that's what we pray for. And we pray that God will send other laborers in. And that's been our time here in Brooklyn. When I first came, almost nine years ago now, uh, I'll tell you, it was a different climate spiritually. 
Now as we go, we knock on doors, people are more familiar with us. I have seen, I have seen a different response. And so over time, it just takes time sometimes for the Lord to work. But God is the one that gives the increase. If anything happens, it's glory to Him. Once a church is established, our goal is to see that the church becomes indigenous. Now hear me well on this. This is the indigenous principle of missions. The definition of an indigenous church is simply this. It is native, it is natural to a country or area. It is indigenous. Native, natural. So the question becomes, when is a church indigenous? There's three things that we have to have true if we're going to be an indigenous church. Number one, a church is indigenous when it is self-governing. That is, it's autonomous. A church is going to be indigenous when it is self-supporting. It's sufficient. It's autonomous. It's sufficient. It's self-supporting. Thirdly, and this is the aspect to which we pray, a church will be indigenous when it is self-propagating. That is, when it's reproducing. That's when a church becomes indigenous. Notice what was not in the list when the church gets a big building. When the church has this ministry or that program. That's not in the list to become indigenous. No, autonomous, sufficient, reproducing. That's when a church becomes indigenous. Remember, a church is more than an organization. We are organized, yes, but it is more than an organization. It is a living organism. The moment I heard those words come out of Dr. Jessup's mouth in Church Plank Seminar back in 2004, it, it just it arrested me. And I said, you know what? I, I hadn't thought about it that way, but he is absolutely right. It is a living organism. So, here's another question. If a church never reproduces a church, is it indigenous? We have to grow. We have to reproduce if we're going to be indigenous. So, let's talk a little bit about a missionary church planter. This is awkward for me, I know, because I'm, I'm a missionary church planter. I'm here... Uh, and, and so I'm telling you a little bit about my walk and where I've been. So let's, let's think this through. The missionary church planter. The pastor is called by the Lord to a church. But a missionary church planter is called by the Lord to a city. When we, when we moved out here, I remember coming down 270. I'm pretty sure I figured out that's which freeway I was on when I came to the Denver. Looking back on it, because I remember where the Sunoco plant was, or whatever, Suncor, or whatever it is down there, the Gotham City, you know where I'm talking about, or 270 down there. <laughs> yeah, I came by there. I, I, we, we were coming into Denver, we were looking for the place where we were going to stop, and, and we were just, I mean, our first time here as a family coming in, making the move out. And I leaned over to my wife, and I just made this comment. I said, you know, hon, God's not called us to this church as much as He's called us to this people group. It's interesting that the church we were coming to minister in was the, the P.O. box was Broomfield, Colorado. I didn't know it at the time, but it was Broomfield. And so, long history short, too late, uh, this is where God was originally calling us, and we weren't even aware of that when we first came out here. And so that's providence. But we're called by the Lord to a city, to a people group. And so that's why when I prayed to come here, I prayed and I said these words, Lord, I surrender my life to preach the gospel to the inhabitants of the city of Broomfield. 
Broomfield is the city where we're called. Well, Pastor, why are you going to choose Broomfield Baptist Church as a name? Why don't you pick something else? That way, if it gets too hard in Broomfield, it's easy to just slip right out, and then you don't have to worry about changing the name because we're Broomfield. We're called the Broomfield. And and I'll tell you, that's been that's been a good anchor. You know, it's hard to be Broomfield Baptist Church in Westminster. It's hard to be Broomfield Baptist Church in Erie. No, that's Broomfield. We're Broomfield Baptist Church. And so God did a work of grace by establishing His local church here. It's powerful. The work of a church planter involves three factors. When we hit the ground running, and I wore the shoe leather out on multiple pairs of shoes getting out here, getting started, we were focused on sonship. S-O-N, sonship. That soul winning and evangelism. We wanted to see people who didn't know Christ come to salvation. And I'm thankful that since we've been here, we've seen people saved. And that's been to the glory of God. The second thing that we're focused on is discipleship. And I've made this a priority in ministry. As much as I can, I'm constantly encouraging people. If you haven't gone through discipleship, go through discipleship. Get engaged with the tools we're using in our church to be in discipleship. If you're not, hint, hint, if you're not discipling someone and you've been discipled, what greater time to start than now? Be praying about that person that God would bring under your wing that you can take them and disciple them. And I give you pastoral authority and permission right now if you want to disciple anybody through our tools, whether it's Continue or Daily in the Word or another discipleship tool that you want to use that I can approve, you have my permission right now. You don't need, you don't need either way. You can start tomorrow. If you know somebody that wants to study the Bible with you, get them on the phone, call them up and say, meet me tomorrow for coffee. We're studying the Bible. Amen? Amen. And just get them in discipleship. Because as we reproduce, that's multiplying disciples, and that's what it's about. Sonship, discipleship, and then leadership, training leaders. And I treasure your prayers on this because I'm still learning myself, and I don't have it all figured out, but these men are looking to me for guidance. Others that are involved in ministry are looking to me for guidance and leadership, and as a church planter, I need to make sure that I'm giving them the tools they need to succeed in the ministry. We had a great session about that last Tuesday up in Loveland on uh, on being able to train others that are coming behind us, instructing them. This is following the pattern of Jesus. He gave an invitation for His disciples to come be with Him, but then He also led them with instruction and helped them know where to go and taught them. He also invested in their lives personally, and, and you see that in the life of our Lord through the book of Mark and other areas of the Gospels. But then He also had times where He was... Uh, he was absent on purpose, <laughs> and uh, times where he let them kind of do ministry, and it's interesting to me, at least, you know, the two times that you can find him doing that, whether it's them crossing the sea or trying to cast out devils, the couple of times that he just totally left them to go, they failed, and then he didn't come and shoot them with lightning, he lovingly nurtured them along, but he was preparing them for the day when he would go away, finally and fully. And he told Peter, after you're converted, strengthen your brethren. So there comes a time as we invest in others that are coming behind us that we pass the baton to them that they can pass it on to faithful men who will then teach others also. That's the, that's the pattern. So that's the goal, to become indigenous. We want to be self-governing. We want to be self-supporting. We want to be self-propagating. In other words, I want to make Pastor Randall a grandma. <laughs> exactly. Think that through, you'll get it in a minute. The completion, the completion of the church planting process. When are we done? When, when is it complete? The church planter 
one of two things occurs. Either the church... Now, okay, you're sitting down. Don't worry, I don't have any plans before I say this next statement. I'm not planning on going anywhere unless the Lord takes me out of here. Number one, what can happen, as many times the Apostle Paul did, a church planter will leave and then begin the process all over again. And if the Lord had called me to do that, I would be engaged in another area already, and I would have left this to somebody else to come along and do that. That would be a missionary church planter. Okay. There's also another aspect in which a church planter would stay and then reproduce churches out of that local church. That would be more of a pastor church planter. That's where I see my calling. It's that I want to see this church get to the place where we can reproduce other churches and I can help the church do that and be engaged in that. So a pastor, a church planter in that regard. Evangelism is not complete until the evangelized become evangelists. And the Great Commission is not complete until the churches reproduce churches. That's how this whole thing works. Three misconceptions that hinder church planting. What are some misconceptions? Well, a misconception could be what constitutes a mission field. When we relegate a mission field merely to geography, we have a misconception. Why? Because our mission field, as I said earlier, is the world. That's our mission field. Not just the local geographic area. So we don't reduce missions to mere geography. I think the Southern Baptists made that mistake gravely in the previous generation. And we're seeing missionaries come home. Uh, by and large, uh, there's, a, there's just a mass homecoming and we're, we're hemorrhaging missionaries from foreign fields. And America now is needing missionaries to come. I heard a story recently of a, a man that went over to Africa to work in missions. And then the Lord called him to be a pastor here and, and, and be a missionary to America over there. He had to leave and go all the way overseas to, to, for God to call him to, to surrender to come preach over here in America. And we have third world countries now that they're more on fire for God than we are. And shame on us as Americans because we're going to be on a trajectory that will look like Britain before it's too long. And the UK now. And just shells in a graveyard of churches because Calvinism and other things have just destroyed, doctrinally destroyed uh, what was there. And remember, remember Wayne Grissom. He felt called to go to Plymouth, England. Plymouth, of all places. That's where the pilgrims left, right? And they came over here to bring the gospel. Now he's going back with the gospel over Plymouth because there's no indigenous Baptist church there. Independent Baptist church. Brother Grissom's a dear friend of mine. So the average church's misconception of the church planter also is a hindrance. What is a church planter? They don't understand it. The church planter's misconception of building strong indigenous churches, church planter can get it wrong. So what are we saying? We can miss it when we don't have our mission field right, and that it's the world. We can miss it when we don't have the right idea about what a church planter is. And we can miss it when we have a misconception of what it is to build a strong indigenous church. The three most common errors that a church planter makes. And as I go down this list, I wonder, did I do any of these? Have I made any of these mistakes? Are we dependent on outside support? Continually dependent. Now we have uh, churches that still give support, but I'm, I would love to be able to just say, no, we're, and in fact we have. The support that comes in all of the support that we get from outside, uh, other churches that is, I've actually channeled that to a church planting fund now so that when the time comes we can turn around and have something to speak back to that. And I want to be able to take some of our missions dollars here and be able to help with church planting on the horizon. 
Another mistake that's made is that when we're dependent on the church planter. This is where the church needs to step up and say, we are a church. We're not dependent on the church planter. We're dependent on the Lord. And whether I'm here or not, I would pray that if I'm gone and something happens to me tomorrow, I don't pray for that. But if it does, what's going to happen to Burnfield Baptist Church? Are you going to carry on? Are you going to thrive and go and reproduce churches? I would pray so. Dependent on outside leadership. We can't govern ourselves. We've got to have somebody help us govern our affairs. See, those are mistakes that are made in church planting. Be careful that we don't develop a welfare mentality, right? We don't need that in church planting. Fifthly, church planters need to build missionary-hearted churches. Missionary-hearted churches. And I believe our church does have a heart for missionary, missionary efforts. We've had this from the first year, from the day one, even when we were still receiving large amounts of support. We began supporting other missions. Churches started by missionaries should be supporting missions. Shouldn't they? Yes, they should. The argument becomes, well, you know, if you're taking support, but you're giving it away, don't you need that to be able to grow and, and be able to help the mission? Well, I understand that aspect of it. But I'll tell you what, there's something to be said about God's multiplication. We sang this morning, little is much when God is in it. And when we're more focused on getting the word out than funding our programs, I think we're focused on the right thing then. We need to start supporting missionaries from the very beginning, and we, by God's grace, were able to do that. Our very first year we were off the ground running here, we had our first admissions conference, and we decided on what missionaries we could take on. We've done that ever since, and as a pastor, I've grown since then, and I have uh, I've, um, tweaked my missions uh, philosophy and my missions program to uh, fit what we're doing here, and the Lord's helped me grow in that. God blesses a church that gives to missions. If a pastor friend called me up and said, you know, we're having problems, we're not making ends meet, I don't know what we're going to do, we can barely keep the lights on, first thing I'm going to ask him, how's your missions program? How's your missions program? And I've seen this firsthand. We've had ups and downs in our church, and you know what I did? I took some good advice from other pastor friends, and I got us back to focusing on what mattered, and we focused on missions, and you know what? It seems like right as soon as we did that, God just stepped in and took care of the church, and everything I was concerned about before went away. I can't explain it. I can't spell out the numbers for you. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up, but God multiplies. God blesses the church that gives to missions. Uh, Dr. Harold Seidler used to say it like this, if you want a healthy church, put it on a missionary diet. And that's a terrible uh, impersonation of him. The rest of the soul, Dr. Seidler. He'll forgive me in heaven, I'm sure. God promises that He will supply all our need according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That promise was given to Philippi, a missionary-minded church. And so you have to connect that to the context. You can't just put a blanket on everything and say, well, God, you know, Lord bless you. He's going to take care of me and all your needs. Not if you're, giving, if you're not giving to missions, you can't claim that promise. If you're not sacrificially giving like the church at Philippi was to meet Paul's needs as a missionary church planter, then that condition doesn't fall on you. You have to meet the condition for it to be said and for it to be true. God promises to supply all, all your needs. Philippians 4.19. So as we close, I believe we need to get back to the basics in planting churches in America. Right here at home is where we begin. And I'm thrilled to get that call from Blue Mark to hear he's, he's going down here to Boulder. 
There's others that are in the area that are planting churches. We want good independent Baptist churches, mind you. Uh, there's a lot of little startup things that are happening around us. Many of those are connected to uh, things doctrinally we can't get behind and we can't support. But God's doing a work, and we need to we need to get back to the basics. Churches reproducing churches. Church planting is the answer for America. It's not in Washington D.C. Uh, uh, you know, I don't want to get into politics here. Whether you agree or disagree with what's happening from the top down in Washington, and we're not going to start you know digging into the swamp and all of that stuff that's going on. I'm going to tell you the answer is not in D.C. The answer is with God's people reproducing good, sound, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches. That's where we're going to see people uh, come to Christ and then communities are going to change. That's the answer. And you know what? The other side knows that too. And they're not doing it to plant churches. But you have people that have means and money. And what are they doing? They're getting into localities and they have a strategy that they are reproducing in community after community. And so what this means is you can go down and vote at the state house all day long, and you can have every bad bill shot down there, but what's happening on your local school board? What's happening in your city and county government? These people are being installed in these places of authority and power that have these mindsets of progressivism that is eroding the very foundation of freedom. And so you can do all that you want at the state level, but you're losing your own city and county. And that's where they're focusing, and that's where they're channeling all this money and all these efforts to get people planted in there that don't have a biblical worldview. We need Christians to be on our school boards. We need Christians on our commissions and our committees within our communities. We need you to get involved. This is America, and this is the structure that was left us. But the answer is going to come when we have cities and counties and communities that say, we want more churches, we want more good Bible-preaching churches, we're going to help and stand behind anybody that comes here to try to do this effort, because we know this is going to be the hope for families, that we can see people come to Christ. And there was a day in America where that was more so than now. And we need to get back to that. That's the answer. Church planting it's not only the answer for America. Church planting is the only answer for the world. The world over. And we can increase our mission force by increasing our mission source. We increase our mission force by increasing our mission source. The Great Commission, Luke chapter 24. Let's turn over and read it as we close. Luke chapter, chapter 24. I want to read verses 46 and 47. Luke chapter 24, verse 46. He opened understanding that they might understand the Scriptures, and He said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. The light that shines the farthest around the world will shine the brightest here at home. The light that shines the farthest to the ends of the earth will first be the light that's shining the brightest right here at home.